0: All right, Glenn. Well, welcome on the Rental Journal podcast.
1: Mark, thank you for having me. so uh,
0: excited. It's the first time I've actually been to your, your office. It so is. It's, um, I, I lived in Las Vegas for a year, and so I used to see all the Ahern machines in Las Vegas when I was coming off the highway. So it's quite exciting seeing the Ahern Australia business as well.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, the Ahern business in the US, particularly the rental business, uh, is uh, you know, yeah, pretty significant. And uh, particularly in Vegas, it's uh, quite a large facility.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm. All right, so just for the listeners, do you just want to give us a bit of a rundown on how you first got exposed to the equipment rental industry?
1: Oh, yeah. My first exposure was uh, when I was quite young, so I was just under 16 years old, and I was fortunate enough to have uh, landed myself an apprenticeship as a plant mechanic uh, with Coates Hire, so fresh out of year 10. And uh, that was my first... um, entry and knowledge of the rental industry at all. So, you know, prior to that, I had no knowledge of the rental industry.
0: Wow. so, so not many people become a mechanic in the equipment rental industry from day one. And I think that's probably one thing that a lot of companies are struggling with. They want to get more mechanics into the business. So how did you get that first gig with Coates?
1: Yeah. Look, it was. Uh, I'd actually been, you know, as a young fellow, looking for an apprenticeship. I was uh, you know, looking around for you know, and contacting various companies you know, to see what they had available at that time, and um, I had done work experience uh, through Detroit Diesel, and uh, the fellow at Detroit Diesel uh, gave me a lead that Coates Hire might be employing apprentices. So, yeah, you know, I, I took that. On hand and uh, and contacted them and uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to get an interview and get a start.
0: Wow. So, so did you know anything about equipment rental when you first joined? But
1: nothing about equipment rental. What I did know about was you know I, as a young fellow, you know, I, I rode motorbikes and those sorts of things. So I tinkered around with engines, on bikes, etc. And uh, and I did a work experience, as I said, uh, at Detroit Diesel, and uh, you know they. Um, yeah, I suppose that gave me a bit of a grounding of what I wanted to do, but nothing within the higher and rental industry.
0: Because mm. I guess like most people that aren't involved in the industry, where they think of mechanics, they think of cars. And yeah. a plant is a completely different beast. And there's so many different types of mechanics in that plant side as well. So what were you specialising in? You said diesel.
1: Well, no, I was actually, prior to starting at Coates, um, the only thing I'd you know, uh, worked on at all as a, as a young bloke was um, just motorbike engines. And as I said, uh, Detroit Diesel, it was really trucks. Yeah. So I'd you know, spent a you know, couple of weeks doing work experience with, with, a, you know, with the guys you know, servicing and repairing trucks, but certainly not plant. So and uh, you know, that hadn't even entered my mind.
0: Uh, do, you, do you remember what the first thing you worked on when you were at Coates or was on top of machines? Were there?
1: Uh, well, yeah, obviously, as a first year apprentice, you're assigned uh, to a tradesman, and the first thing that I worked on was a John Deere tractor. Very yeah, nice. yeah, it was. It was uh, a, a, a unit which they used for towing the road rollers. So yeah, that so was my very first machine which I, I laid hands on. And whereabouts was this? Uh, so Coates head office at that time, I was based in the uh, Coates head office workshop, and that was based down at uh, Kamala Road, down in Miranda, in uh, Sydney, New South Wales.
0: Okay. And so, what you, you obviously said you were working on motorbikes and stuff like that when you were younger. Like, was that what got you interested in becoming a mechanic?
1: Yeah, I, I guess so. It was, uh, you know, when, you're, when you're 15 years old, you really don't have a, a great understanding or I, I didn't at least have a great understanding of what it, what it was that I wanted to do with my life. But I did know that I enjoyed tinkering around with engines. And uh, you know, I'd done a bit of work experience and that kind of reinforced that. So I just figured why not do something you enjoy.
0: Mm, that's nice. And so started as a mechanic at Coates. What was your career progression when you're working through the business?
1: Yeah, so uh, I completed my apprenticeship at Codes. This podcast episode was sponsored by Boom
0: & Bucket. I love that name. Such a good name for a company, Boom & Bucket. Boom & Bucket was started by two ex-Caterpillar employees and is the easiest way to buy and sell heavy equipment. If you're selling, Boom & Bucket will inspect, photograph, market and sell your machine so you can focus on your rental business. If you're looking for new equipment, Boom & Bucket has hundreds of inspected and guaranteed machines that you can browse and buy from right on your mobile phone. See why the average buyer gives Boom & Bucket a 9.5 out of 10 review. Check them out at boomandbucket.com.
1: This is quite a long story. So uh, I completed my apprenticeship at Coates uh, and continued to work uh, in the workshop as a tradesman for about a year. Uh, They then... um, uh, offered me a role as a roving field service technician throughout the uh, New South, uh, the metropolitan area of Sydney branches. So I was you know, driving around and assisting with breakdowns, et cetera, uh, from the branch network uh, and did that for quite some time. And, and through, through that role, I, I heard uh, that there was a an opening uh, for what they were calling an assistant branch manager at uh, Alexandria Branch. It was effectively at a higher controller type role. Um, and you know, I thought, well, that might be something I'm, I might be interested in in doing differently. Um, I, being in and around the branches, I'd had the opportunity w- to work with some of the guys who were working in those in those roles, and uh, you know, I thought that that might be another opportunity for me mm-hmm. you know, outside of you know, being a mechanic. Not that I didn't like being a mechanic, but I just saw you know uh, the potential for something more. Yeah. So, uh, and I do remember it, it was a, it was a Wednesday and uh, Wednesday morning I, I, I was in the head office and I uh, called in to see the then operations manager, a gentleman by the name of Alan Forbes and uh, I inquired about the role. I said, look, I'm interested in this role you've got going over to Alexandria Branch and uh, he sat down and had a chat to me and uh, the following Monday I started there. Wow.
0: So, how much of an advantage was it moving into that higher controller role having a mechanical background?
1: Oh, I suppose the benefit for me was I knew all of the equipment. See, part of the challenge in working in a general equipment uh, industry is under, actually understanding the equipment and what it does and how it works. So I found it to be really advantageous. Um, you know, the, the change for me was really in and around the customer contact and communication and developing those relationships. So it was, and then you know, looking at the allocation of equipment and those things. That, that was the new part for me. Mm. Um, understanding the equipment and, and being able to um, understand what a customer's requirements and what machine would fill that requirement was uh, you know, quite easy.
0: Yeah, because I think it's very easy for higher controllers to get to nervous when they're talking to a customer and they just refer to the specs. Oh, this machine can do X, Y, Z and sort of work through it. But when, when you truly understand the capabilities of the machines and what it can do, you almost like let your barriers down a little bit, and you want to learn more about the customers' requirements and, and work together.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Um, you know, you s- certainly, you know, understanding and being able to put forward a piece of equipment, uh, I you know, c- came kind of naturally because you know of my understanding of the equipment. Um, the dealing with the customers was was a, was another matter, and I will say it did take me some time to, you know, come up to speed and and be comfortable. Um, dealing with those customers you know, because, you know, the branch, the Alexandria branch at Coates at that time was their busiest branch in the country with, its high, with and, and the highest revenue and it was, uh, you know, a bit of a cauldron. So the, the inquiries and phone calls were thick and fast and uh, you, were, you were really on the move all the time. So, you know, but one thing I did find, Mark, was that, uh, you know, after a period of time, I really thought I'd found my calling. Yeah, and and it was a role that I really enjoyed, and uh, you yeah, know, and, and I thought I did pretty well in. Yeah,
0: so you got thrown into the deep end, yeah, you thrown into the biggest and uh, yeah. best branch, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it was. It was a, a little bit of a you know a sink or swim moment. So, but look, I mean, it it, it turned out really well, and um, and from there, uh, I worked at Alexandria branch then for. About two years and a, an opportunity uh, presented itself as a branch for a branch manager over at the Coates Chatswood branch so I applied for that role and uh, I was fortunate enough to be you know successful in uh, in moving into that position and uh, you know at uh, 23 years of age I became Coates's uh, youngest branch manager at that time so wow. it was a little you know, feather in the cap for me at that period so and that was really good too i mean it was a it was a different type of branch it was a smaller it was a smaller branch with a smaller team uh, but as a branch manager, that was, uh, you know, a good opportunity for me to, you know, start to develop some management skills. And, uh, you know, and the Coates business itself was very, very good in the early days in terms of training, like internal training programs for their people, particularly in and around, you know, customer service. So uh, in line with, you know, in line with my move, I mean, you know, the business, you know, put me through some training courses as well, just to make sure that, you know, I succeeded, mm. which was really good. So. So talk me through, like,
0: cause you went from a mechanic to a higher controller to a branch manager and that's all at a pretty young age working through yeah. those roles. Did you, were you pushed to have that, um, the eagerness to progress in your career or was that something that was sort of put forward to you? Like, how did you sort of take on that challenge? Uh, look,
1: I've always been a fairly motivated sort of person. So once I invest myself in something, um, you know, I like to progress. And and I saw that within codes. This podcast episode was sponsored
0: by the Fleet Office. Get away from paper documents and spreadsheets and become more compliant by using a cloud-based fleet management software. Save money by streamlining your hire business and understanding your fleet and utilization better. Create quotes, invoices, allocate equipment and operators to jobs and easily compare your projected income with your current invoices making you more profitable pre-starts risk assessments maintenance timesheets dockets and asset efficiency all managed on one
1: easy to use platform learn more at thefleetoffice.com.au I saw other people within the business progressing as well, it wasn't just me, but other people progressing through the company. And uh, I just saw that there was opportunity. And, um, you know, so look, it's it's a lot of that was around self-drive, but it's also having the opportunity to be able to be provided for you. So, you know, and I was very thankful for Coach for that.
0: Mm. And so then becoming a branch manager, now you're talking about managing a team and working together. So that's another level of skills that you would have had to learn along the way.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, working as part of a team and managing a team. I mean, you know, fortunately, in my younger life, I played a lot of football, and uh, you know, you're, and that is a real team environment, uh, and you know, and captained football teams. So, you know, it wasn't a big step, um, and even as, as a higher controller uh, at the Alexandria branch, you, you were quite often, you know, looking and, and, and directing teams uh, to for particular tasks, etc. So, it wasn't a massive change. Uh, in terms of what I'd been doing at Alexandria branch, except now you were the person responsible. Mm. So that did, uh, you know, that created its own challenges and, and growth for me, you know, growth opportunity for me. So, uh, and that look at me went really well and the, the little Ale- Chatswood branch, uh, you know, ended up performing, you know, quite admirably. And, you know, we, we increased revenues and, and uh, you know, we had a really, really good team of people. So it's, uh, you know, and, and that went very well. So I was only there for about two years. And uh, uh, Alan Forbes, uh, who was the operations manager, I mentioned before, had moved actually up into the general manager's role at that time, and uh, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, how would you like to come back and manage Alexandria branch? So, next opportunity on the line. So, you know, I'm never one to uh, knock back an opportunity. So, uh, I then, you know, took that on board, uh, moved back to run the Alexandria branch um, again, which was, you know, still in full swing. And uh, I managed that branch then for the following four years, four to five years. So it was, uh, you know, but again, larger team then. So we had a team of 12 uh, at the branch at the time uh, with, you know, technicians and drivers and yardmen and, and uh, you know, assistant managers. So I had you know, three assistant managers basically in that branch at that time.
0: Mm. And so being a branch manager at Alexandria, the, the, the busiest and largest branch, having experience being a mechanic, and a hire controller, how advantageous was that for your mentoring of your staff?
1: Um, in terms of mentoring of the staff, being a mechanic, I don't know that that actually assisted me that greatly. But in terms of product knowledge and being able to impart that product knowledge to people, mm-hmm. that was the benefit. And uh, particularly in being able to demonstrate the equipment to customers and, and, and to uh, other staff so that they understood that they're demonstrating it correctly, certainly that paid played, you know, played a big part in that. Um, you know, In terms of you know, the management of, of the larger team, um, you know, that just became part and parcel of the, of the yeah. responsibility of managing that branch. But, uh, and it all comes down to having the right people around you, mm. you know, and in that branch, I mean, I was fortunate enough to have you know, some real stars. You know, uh, we, I know you've had on a podcast previously, I mean, I employed Grant Voicey there, and Grant was one of my assistants. I had another guy by the name of Brett Wright, uh, who was, uh, you know, also uh, you know, progressed through the Coates organisation and uh, and another gentleman by the name of Brett McAleer. And, uh, and those three guys uh, through that period were, you know, were champions. Yeah.
0: And so you were there for a number of
1: years and then what was the next step? Yeah, so I uh, so managed the Alexandria branch and things were going along you know, quite well for us there. Uh, things were, you know, the branch was still performing. Uh, everyone was happy with our performance. And... Uh, and I think it was uh, late, uh, early '90s. The business bought a company called Prestige Portables, and um, uh, so you know, through an acquisition. And uh, I was contacted again to see whether I might like to head up the portable building business for New South Wales. So another opportunity presents itself, and uh, you know I leapt at that opportunity, and uh, and you know it was great. It, it gave me you know. A whole new, uh, a whole new outlook as well, because there was, you know, new customers, new products to learn. Um, you know, there were different uh, uh, customer segments and uh, business segments we were supplying to. So it wasn't just construction. It was, you know, because we did the portable building and toilet business, did a, did events. It also did commercial type applications like schools. So it was actually quite. Uh, quite different in a number of aspects and opened my eyes to, you know, a lot of different market segments, which, you know, really I hadn't been dealing Mm. too heavily in previously. But, you know, it was, uh, you know, the learning the products was actually, you know, even though people just think of portable buildings, when you start getting to some of these, you know, commercial complexes, you really need to understand, you know, uh, the product well in order to be able to quote particular jobs.
0: Yeah. And so... So, I guess we'll stop there in terms of your career and we'll continue yeah. soon. So, when you've got these young mechanics that are coming through a business or a hire controller or a branch manager, like what advice would you give to them in terms of their career? Let maybe let's, let's hone in on maybe a mechanic to start off with.
1: Well, in terms of advice to them, I mean, it depends on what the individual wants to do themselves. Now, you know, for me, uh, I enjoyed being a mechanic, but I, I guess I thought that there may be other things that I could do. That, and look, I mean, mechanics the Mechanic Trade course provides you with a wonderful set of skills. Um, and they're skills which are transferable uh, into, into other areas. Um, and it's, it's just around having the right disciplines in place. It's around you know, uh, having attention for detail. Uh, those sorts of things are transferable into other types of roles and jobs. Um, in terms of what, what advice would I give them, identify what it is that you actually want to do, uh, if for the future, and then set a set a path or look for a path that's going to take you there. Mm. Um, never knock back an opportunity, is what I'll say.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times people, they, they don't like stepping outside their comfort zone mm. and they get comfortable. Yeah. So I think, is that something that you really embrace, like really stepping outside your comfort zone and taking on opportunities?
1: Yeah, look, I... I, you know had this older dash that you know it's just, you know bite off as much as you can and then chew like hell right it's uh, for me it's like you know if if this is the path that I, I see myself progressing in then I need to go in with both feet and actually do it to the best of my ability and then do whatever else I need to do to actually you know achieve and be successful in that role and I've just I've just adapted that to you know, every role that I've you know, mm. put myself into
0: And I think something that I've even noticed is a lot of times people, they'll be working hard and they don't think people notice, but people do. Mm. People know who are the ones that are putting the after hours, the extra effort and stuff like that. And so it's very important for whatever role you're in, don't think that it's not been unseen.
1: No, exactly right. Look, an example of that for myself was uh, I, I did the things that not a lot of other people wanted to do. So within the COATS organisation as an assistant branch manager and a branch manager, COATS ran at that point in time what they called an after-hours phone service. And we had, you know, initially a, a group of people, you know, who were rostered on to answering the phone call after our branches for the state, after, uh, after the branches had closed. So over a period of, you know, a year, you know, I was the last man standing. So I had that thing full-time. Wow. And I ran that for four years. Jeez. So 24 hours a day... Um, seven days a week. <laughs> so... Yeah,
0: dinner time, whatever it is. it yeah, doesn't matter where it is.
1: You, you, you could be out at a function, you've still got the phone with you and you're taking calls and then you find yourself sitting in a corner somewhere making phone calls and coordinating a breakdown repair or coordinating a delivery. But those are the things which I did. I mean, look, don't get me wrong, there was, a, there was a monetary aspect uh, which was associated with that as well, which I was quite keen on. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, it was, you know, me demonstrating what I was prepared to do and how much commitment I had to the organisation.
0: Mm. Now, that, that's that's amazing. I think, yeah, I, I really want to hang in on that and make sure people realise that putting that extra effort in does get noticed and when you're thinking about your career, don't box yourself in and think that that's it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you, you know your career can be what you want it to be I mean you just need to you know as you say work hard do the things that need to be done and uh, you know and try and be noticed I mean and, and hard work typically gets you there
0: mm. you, I had someone on the podcast that says they don't believe in luck it's like you, the harder you work the luckier you get yeah
1: absolutely I mean it's a it's a real statement
0: yeah so then portables business what was the next step from there
1: yeah so I ran the portables business then for you know, two and a half years uh, for for New South Wales and um, during that period, uh, the then General Manager, Alan Forbes, had stepped out of the Eastern Region General Manager's role into um, a, a national asset GM of Assets role. And we had a new General Manager come on board, uh, a fellow by the name of Trevor James. Now you may know Trevor. Uh, he then went on to found uh, on-site industrial um, with Malcolm Williams, who owned on-site uh, portable building rentals. Uh, which is today called on-site rentals uh, and Mal- uh, sorry, and Trevor then was the uh, general manager for Eastern Region and I got a call from him uh, asking for a meeting and uh, he, he sat down with me to uh, inquire about my interest in becoming the New South Wales operations manager or the Eastern Region operations manager at that time and uh, again another opportunity presented itself and, uh, and I, I jumped at the opportunity because uh, you know, this was, for me, this was a step up into a senior management role, uh, a real senior management role. And, uh, you know, th- I think it's the, the busiest role I've had in my life. So the operations manager role within the Coates organisation at the time was responsible for all asset management and asset purchasing. Uh, it was also responsible for all maintenance activities and responsible for all of the staff and the branch network. So you know all of the branch managers within New South Wales reporting into you. You know all of the service teams reporting through to you, uh, and as I say, responsible for the procurement of the of the equipment and the, you know, monitoring utilization and all those sorts of things, which are, which go with uh, asset management. Mm. So yeah, so it was a it was a really really busy role. I mean, I wasn't there on my own. I mean, we had a, a team of people, uh, in the in the national head office. Uh, you know, and I had a, a great guy by the name of David White, uh, who was my plant controller at the time. And you know he and I, you know, yeah, we did some really great things.
0: Yeah, so so as you're moving up these roles, becoming more senior, taking on more responsibility, you now have to actually think about a PL and l as well, to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah. So these skills, uh, where did you learn these? Was this something that you learned on your own or did you get trained? No, no, no.
1: So well, look, I mean, as I said, Coates was actually very good in terms of providing their people with training. And you know, for me, uh, moving through some of these roles, because even when I was in the portable building business, that was my first introduction really to real P&L and, being, and, and managing a P&L for a business. So in light of that, I mean, they then sent me off to do courses in finance and uh, et cetera to, to ensure that I had the skill set to, to be able to you know, effectively you know, manage that business. Mm. Moving across then into uh, the operations manager's role again. I mean, they then sent me off to you know, uni to, to, to do courses, and, and um, you, know, uh, you know, finally provided me with qualification at the end. But uh, it's you know, uh, it was um, they provided the, the right necessary tools for me to succeed.
0: Yeah. So then, what was the next step from there? Because you're really starting to move up into a senior manager role within Coats.
1: Well, I was. So uh, look, unfortunately, then Trevor left the business and. Um, we had a, a couple of you know, starters come in as general manager. Uh, you know, one as a temporary, and uh, and another fellow who just didn't work out. And uh, and uh, look, I, I spoke to uh, Jim Brown, who was the chief executive at the time, and uh, and basically asked him to give me an opportunity. And uh, you know, with the support of then Alan Forbes and the and the then uh, finance director Gary Woods, um, you know. Jim took a punt on me, and so I mean I'd been the operations manager at that time for about three years, and and had been you know, reasonably successful in that role, and uh, yeah, he decided you know the people that he'd put on from externally hadn't worked, and I think thought he, he might as well look internally. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, you know, fortunate enough then to to become you know the the general manager of Eastern Region, and that was in two thousand and one. Yeah. So so when.
0: When someone takes a punt on you like that, and you're making a big jump again to another new role, like how does that make
1: you feel as an employee? Oh, it felt fantastic as an employee. I mean, it, it was it was you know for me, I thought that the, that the company number one had invested in me most of my life. I mean, I was I mean I'd been there since I'd left school, um, you know, and they had really invested in me over that period of time, and they had really provided me with wonderful, wonderful opportunity, you know, up to get to that point. And that showed that they had confidence in me as a person and that they were prepared to also work with me to make sure that my skills grew in line with the responsibility of the role. So, you know, it was uh, a really good environment. And uh, how did it make me feel? I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was just thrilling. Yeah, it really was. I mean, you know, if, if I look at my starting date at nineteen eighty one and general manager then at two thousand and one, so it was twenty year journey from first year apprentice to general manager. Wow, that's
0: amazing. That's, that's like a story that you want to share within the organisation. Yeah, it's like,
1: look, well, it is, it, and it's a story that uh, back in the day, you know, Coach did share um, you know, through through the organisation because it is a good news story. Yeah, definitely. So, of, you know, of, of what people can achieve within the company.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think being able to understand all the roles going up into that point as well. Hmm. It's very, very, like Adrian Manning's a great example. Like he's yep. the COO at the moment at Coates, and, but he started as a, as a high controller. Yep. Like he, he understands what it means to work in a branch. I think it's very hard for these execs that come in that haven't yeah. really got that experience. Like that gives you a massive massive leg up.
1: Yeah, look, I really agree with that. I mean what, what that enabled me to do was when when I was talking to, you know, branch managers or high controllers or other people within within the company about issues that they were facing. I mean, I was aware of them and I could relate to them because I'd been through those same situations myself and was able then to then in a number of situations be able to provide them with a course of action which actually, you know, rectified their problem or mm. you know, or were able to work collectively to, you know, to actually fix that issue. Mm. So it did. It actually gave you a really good grounding into understanding how that business ran from the ground up.
0: Yeah. Someone came on the podcast once and they, they mentioned when it comes to mentoring people then Rather than just shooting advice across the table and telling someone what to do, it's much better to share experiences. And because you've got that experiences, when someone says, "Oh shit, the the transport's late because the truck's not coming" or whatever, all mm. the, whatever it is, you can you can you can relate to it and say, "I've been in this situation. Yeah. This is how I handled in the past. Let's work together." Let's, you come up with a solution and let's work on, on what it might look like, yeah. rather than you just sort of winging it and just shooting advice across the table.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Now, that, that, that is exactly the case. But it's also the case as well when you're looking at putting through a new initiative uh, from a management perspective. You're looking at, at, at implementing a new initiative. Uh, when you're talking to your team about that initiative, at least they understand that you know how things work at the ground level. And that this this should then you know integrate and work mm. for them, so there's so there's confidence in both ways. Um, it, that's that's how I found things. Yeah. yeah.
0: So then coming up to the East Coast General Manager, then there was some big acquisitions coming in during that period.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. As I said, I I was uh, you know appointed into the role of General Manager in two thousand and one, and then uh, in early two thousand and two, Coates acquired Rec Air. So that was a uh, you know another um, you know opportunity, as, as I'll call it. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, Coates you know, and Wreckhead joining together was the two largest general equipment rental companies at that time, you know, merging together and, and uh, joining forces. So it was a, you know, it was a really uh, exciting period for the company. Yeah.
0: So when you think back to that time, like, what do you what do you remember? Because bringing two large organizations together is challenging. It's, it's, uh, it, it's merging cultures, merging businesses, yeah. merging customers, all that sort of stuff. So, so what do you remember from that period?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, it, it was all of that. Um, the merging of cultures in particular uh, was something that um, you know, we, we had to put a plan in place for. Uh, we had you know, two groups of people, particularly in the sales teams you know, who'd been out competing against each other previously. And we're now working side by side. So there was the, you know, allocation of customer accounts, you know, to be to be sorted out. There was the, you know, the rationalisation of branches. There was the and people. There was the rationalisation of assets. So we took the opportunity that time as well to, you know, to clean up the the fleet at the same time. And, but it was really about you know bringing the two businesses together. Now, typically at that time, everywhere, every location in New South Wales at Coates had a location, so did RecAir. So there was a whole lot of you know, synergies uh, which, which the business was looking to you know, extract uh, from that acquisition. And, uh, and we set, you know, set about you know, working through that process uh, quite quickly. Um, you know, that in, that then included, as I said, we talked about the sales teams. We kept all of the sales team on uh, throughout the, from, from both businesses. Uh, and a, But then it was about separation of accounts and those sorts of things. And just pulling people back in line. And, uh, sorry, back into working together. Because uh, at, at some points in time, you know, you, uh, you would find that, you know, people would revert to their prior um reporting line for example for you know trying to get answers on things and they might not report to that person mm. anymore so it was about just you know pulling the team back together um, uh, and just you know putting in place the right uh, you know structure uh, for the business to you know to move forward and uh and i do recall that we we, we ran workshops on you know codes and Recair working together um, where, where we talked about the strategy and we, we talked about you know, what the future looked like and how we were going to get there and, uh, and I think that those you know that those um, sessions really uh, you know started to bring the team together
0: yeah and then eventually the national hire merger happened as well and so now we're talking about two or three of the largest rental businesses in Australia all merging into become one really which I can't imagine the change management that was happening during these these years.
1: Okay, so well, I'll I'll just take a step back if I can. Um, prior to that, we actually went through another change in Coats, which was P sixty four, which was uh, basically Project Six into Four. So where Coats actually uh, merged the two um, specialist business units back into the four geographical business units, and. Um, and that created another change within the organisation, um, but you know, in, t- in terms of you know the business uh, performance, it actually improved the business performance at that point in time. But then you say, as you say, I mean, there, then then came the the acquisition, uh, the Carlisle National acquisition of codes. and uh, you know, I was involved in the early part of that, uh, but not the latter part of that. So. Um, you yeah, know, my, my memory of that is, and I'd just like to you know, to state that, you know, the Coates business in 2007 prior to the merger was actually a really good and solid business. I mean, at that time, you know, prior to the acquisition, Coates was, you know, turning over $850 million and, and the, the, you know, Eastern Region business itself was, you know, was turning over $200 million per annum. And uh, in terms of, in terms of key metrics, um, you know, Coates was up in the top 10 of rental companies in terms of key metrics globally. So it was performing really strongly. And, uh, and the business had a view that in the, you know, the following year uh, or two that we would touch that billion dollars in our own right. Um, and you know, I guess what, what isn't as well known is that you know, prior to the acquisition uh, executives of Seven had actually contacted the Coates board um, to talk about a potential merger of the national hire business into Coates where then you know Seven would take a an equity position in Coates and uh, and you know, potentially get a seat on the board. Now, the Coates board, for whatever reason at that time, declined that offer, and uh, you know, and some you know, six odd months later, I think. Uh, uh, a consortium of two um, private equity firms, I think it was Nico and KKK, um, uh, put in a, uh, an expression of interest uh, to acquire Coats, um, and that then, um, you know, was, was put to the board, and you know the board doing the right thing, uh, then determined that we needed to conduct a, a strategic review of the Coates business. In order to you know, really ascertain what the value of the Coates business was at that time, and whether the offer that had you know, been received was actually reasonable or not, uh, so that process then you know, involved uh, you know, Macquarie Bank becoming you know, getting involved and in coming and completing their strategic review. You know, and my role in all of that was to you know talk through with Macquarie for Eastern Regions uh, perspective, you know what our plans were. Um, you know, what we were looking to do in the future, our assets, and provide them with all the information that they needed uh, in order to ascertain the value of, of the business. And once that was actually completed, I guess, you know, the sale process has actually then commenced because the board then says, okay, well, now we know, understand what the value is, we actually have you know somebody who's put an expression of interest in and now what we need to do is probably look to see whether there are other interested parties who may look to you know provide a better offer mm. so yeah the sale process is underway yeah so so, so, yeah.
0: so you're basically saying that there was an opportunity prior for codes to actually have a seat on the board and it could have been a very different
1: picture Well, uh, well, what would have have been a different picture because what would have happened is, you know, that the national hire business potentially could have been merged into the existing codes business. And, uh, you know, with, with, you know, Seven having a seat on the codes board, that's that's what they were looking for. Mm. Uh, That's my understanding at the time. So... Um, yeah, but that it could have been a, a slightly different scenario. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, it, it is what it is now. Yeah. So you know, and as in history you know, shows now that uh, the National Hire and Carlisle uh, consortium you know, was the successful bidder for the business, and uh, you know, and they've gone on to do you know, you know, bigger and better things with the with the company.
0: Yeah. So then, what was your role after that? You, it sounds like you finished up with the business. Yeah. That so
1: look, I decided at that point in time that uh, yeah, my time at Coats had come, you know, had run its course, and uh, and I saw some you know, further opportunity outside of the the uh, the Coats business at that time. Um, I my next role was actually I I moved uh, after leaving Coats. Uh, I went on to. Uh, work with um, both the prior Co CEO Gary Woods, and uh, the prior Coates General Manager of um, Business Strategy and Development, uh, Barry Meal, uh, for, who formed a company called RSC, or Rental Services Corp., which was a uh, consulting company to the rental industry. And uh, yeah, and then we we set about then providing consultancy services to you know, a number of rental companies in terms of you know business improvement strategy and initiatives, and, and assisting them uh, to improve their businesses. Mm. You know, so uh, and, and during you know, I, I worked as a consultant then for um, you know the next four years. Uh, so for companies like uh, High Equip in New Zealand, I work with equipment manufacturers uh, such as uh, Clark Equipment. Um, rental companies, uh, active hire, and uh, and snorkel.
0: Oh, well, wow. nice. Mm. So we'll get to snorkel in a second. Yeah. So so working at Coach for that amount of years and then seeing that whole acquisition process unfold and then finishing up, that must have been painful. Because uh, like, you're really part of like, like you're a family. Like you, you're yeah. from 15 years old.
1: Yeah. Look, I in, in New South Wales, I knew everybody, everybody in my team. I mean, because I'd been there for, you know, at that time, 27 years. So, look, I it, it was, it was, uh, you know, a little bit of a, um, uh, I suppose, sad occasion to, to leave at that point in time. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I could see for me that there were other things that I could do. And uh, another and, and another journey that I could commence, so it wasn't something which I was you know sad about, you know certain elements. But you know I could see that there was a, a positive future for myself uh, going yeah. forward. That's good.
0: So so back to Snorkel. So you're going through the consulting, you're doing consulting to various companies, and Snorkel was one of them. Today, <laughs> now we're, we're, we're I'm at the Snorkel office with A yeah. Australia. So so how did that eventually come
1: about? Yeah. Well, look look. Um, well, uh, prior to joining Snorkel here, uh, whilst I was consulting, after about four years, I got, ta- I got a tap on the shoulder from a from a placement company, and uh, there was a role um, available. or they were looking to fill a role with a company called Waco Quickform, and Waco Quickform is Australia's largest scaffolding rental company. And uh, so, you know, I'd been out you know, consulting for some time, and I thought, look, I'd take the opportunity to go and talk to these guys and just you know understand more about the business I, mean, I was aware of the business I'm a, I I knew of them but I didn't know a lot about how they you know how they operated and and, and the and the products and how how that actually you know, worked uh, from whether it was a rental company or whether it was actually a um, uh, more of a contracting business yeah so uh, so I went along to that uh, that interview and uh, yeah next thing I knew I was uh, the general manager of Waco quick form industrial uh, for Australia Wow That's, so moving into
0: just a pure scaffolding business was that yeah. a bit of a wake-up call
1: yeah it was very different it was actually it was quite different and uh, you know I, I had thoughts that uh, scaffolding was quite an easy product and uh, you know when you actually then start looking at um, not so much just the product itself, but the installation of that product. Mm. Then it becomes, you know, quite a, a really interesting business, um, because you know it tend it really turns out that that whilst they rent the product, I mean it's a it's a contracting business, mm. you know, really. So yeah, the amount of people that go into just installing the scaffolding. Well, particularly particularly in the industrial segments, which I was responsible for, which was in and around you know mining and gas plants and. Uh, and those areas I mean it's it was all contracting mm. so look again it uh, it was a you know, an, another new experience for me it was uh, additional skills which I acquired you know working there and I was really in, I really enjoyed working for Waco Quickform, and there and there you know, that, that was another company that uh, that really looked after its employees and, uh, and and a business which uh, you know invested in them as well through education, etc. And you know again they put me through further university courses, um, you know whilst I was there, um, you know which you know, have really benefited me in the longer term. But you know and whilst I was happy doing what I was doing at uh, at Waco. Um, an opportunity presented itself uh, at uh, what was being uh, rebranded as Ahern Australia. So you know, um, everybody knew the business as Snorkel Australia. Um, but then in 2013, a gentleman by the name of Donna Hearn uh, purchased uh, the majority share of the snorkel business from Tanfield. And uh, and in Australia, that meant a, a rebranding uh, of the business to from Snorkel to Ahern Hearn. Anyway, so the, uh, you know, I saw an opportunity. Uh, I was aware of the business, having worked here as a consultant. Um, you know, Matthew Elvin, who was the incumbent MD at the time here, uh, was somebody who I knew. And uh, you know, so, um, yeah, I, I contacted, you know, went through the right channels and contacted Matt, and uh, you know, here I am. And so what's your role today? So today I am the managing director of Ahern Australia, and I'm also the president of Snorkel Asia
0: okay and so let's go back to when it was snorkel Australia can you talk through just I'm assuming most people that are listening know what snorkel is but just want to talk through what the products were like back then
1: and have they evolved
0: a lot since then like what's the
1: product oh, yeah. look like I, today I, I'll, I'll take you on a little bit of a, a history journey sure. if that's okay so look they have I mean from from uh, snorkel um, it's infancy. I mean, uh, a gentleman by the name of Art Moore started snorkel back in I think it was 1959, and what he was really manufacturing was the telescoping boom sections for fire engines to enable them to put the fire hoses on the top of the boom set in order to tackle high-rise fire. You um, know, in, in the early 70s, uh, I think he saw an opportunity to use that te- same technology. And turn it into a boom lift to enable people to be lifted. I think they first started using it on fire engines, using the boom set carrying baskets, and then he applied that into manufacturing, you know, self-propelled boom lifts. So, you know, initially started with, you know, with fire engines. It then went, went into boom lifts, and then you know he expanded then into, you know other products within the elevated work platform sector such as scissor lifts etc but you know that's really where it started and have they changed over the years well they have and and thankfully they have you know because the machines have been over all these years they continue to be made safer um you know and uh, and more robust yeah.
0: And then so Don Ahern acquiring the business would have been a big change then for the organisation.
1: Well, it was. It was a massive change for the company. And look, the, I'll just explain Don's involvement and, and why he became involved in Snorkel. Um, at that time, uh, the company was owned, prior to Don's ownership, um, the company was owned by a, a UK business called Tanfield. And uh, during the GFC, uh, the Tanfield had gone through a fairly difficult period. And, uh, you know, they had, they had disruption in their supply chain and parts supply and all those sorts of things. Uh, Donna Hearn through his rental business in the US, was the largest owner of snorkel equipment globally. And he was looking at, you know, what he needed to do to ensure ongoing supply for his product. And, uh, you know, he determined at that time the best thing for him to do was to actually buy the company. Now Don already had manufacturing businesses. He's got another manufacturing business called Extreme Manufacturing. And, uh, and through Extreme Manufacturing, he purchased Snorkel. So, uh, you know, and what that did was, you know, allowed him then to take, you know, take ownership of the business and to you know, then you know, take ownership of its future direction. So, you know, the first things that Don did after buying Snorkel was run around and settled all the old debt, um, you know he then invested heavily in, in redesigning the products uh, because the snorkel products really hadn't had a, a significant change in their design in a number of years so you know he really set about modernizing and uh, and bringing the the snorkel product range uh, up to current you know up to current uh, expectation you know, in terms of of um, Uh, you know and leading market in terms of its sizzle you know design and capability and uh and also uh, with with our boom lifts and we've we've been you know just working through the whole range of products you know since 2014 or late 13 when don acquired the business
0: Mm. yeah it's quite amazing like the influence that he would have had on the industry by itself like the fact that he's gone out and said all right i want to Ensure I can keep my supply, but I also want to improve <coughs> the products that I own, and to, to just go out and buy the company. That's uh, that's amazing, isn't it? That's- yeah, it
1: is. Look, I mean, uh, and you have to be in the position to be able to do that as well, right? So, but yeah, look, I mean, he, he, he did have that influence, and uh, and for the people in the business, it's just been you know such a wonderful thing. Um, you know, his passion for the product, and you know, and his in you know his individual involvement in some of its design is uh, is really you know wonderful and appreciated. I um, mean he's uh, you know we we call him the frustrated engineer because his his understanding of engineering practice and 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 designing is uh, is as good as our engineers. Wow, that's yeah. amazing.
0: So so how many years do you been
1: with Aon Australia now? So I'm I've completed seven, I'm into my eighth year this year.
0: Okay, and so over those eight years, has much changed within the organisation, with the product lines as well.
1: Well, it has. I mean, look, one of the, one of the benefits uh, that we've had through the change of uh, brand and, and name in in Australia is that you know from snorkel from a uh, sorry snorkel Australia to Ahern Australia is that. Being branded Ahern Australia has allowed us to, to do things that we wouldn't have been able to do under, just under the Snorkel brand, and that's sell, you know, uh, sell and support and maintain our uh, other manufacturers' equipment. So in Australia today, um, you know, we're also the Australian distributor for um, Ruthman Blue Lift Spider Lifts, um, and you know, most recently uh, we've taken on taken on the agricultural equipment distributorship for Farrison uh, Farrison industries uh, out of Italy. So we're now selling their um, uh, agricultural range of telehandlers and feed mixer wagons. And I can tell you today that we've also just signed to become the Australian distributor of the ALSA products, being their range of small telehandlers, uh, rough terrain forklifts uh, and their dumper product. Very nice, very exciting. So for us, I mean, you know, the change to to being a Hearn has actually allowed us to expand ourselves and to look at doing, you know, Complementary products to the things that we already do, and to uh, you know, and to look at you know, branching out into different market segments such as the agricultural space, which you know we wouldn't have had any you know mm. option to uh, previously. Yeah,
0: those spider lifts are pretty cool, aren't they? How uh, small they can go down to?
1: Yeah, look, the, the well, the blue lift range of spiders we have. I mean, we we do everything from a, an 11 meter to a 31 meter. And, uh, and you're right, I mean, you know, the range that uh, the blue lift provides really does satisfy, you know, pretty much every market segment that you need a spider lift to, to you know, uh, for, for the application so anything from sh- uh, from small shopping center applications where they're just hanging decorations to to arborists you know working out and doing tree lopping uh, you know to you know, rental companies wanting an, an all-purpose machines uh, yeah you know it's uh it's a great product and uh you know we're really happy to be the distributor in australia
0: just looks a bit futuristic when you walk through, and you imagine twenty years ago walking down the street and seeing this spider-looking machine
1: <laughs> set yeah, up yeah. on the side of the road. Well, not into that. I mean, it's you know you, you see you, you see the machine actually just driving down the road because of radio remote controls these days. I yeah. mean, the machine's actually you know n- not attached to the operator, so it is. I mean, it is quite. you know, we've we've moved forward and uh, you know significantly in terms of you know. Um, technology in these machines
0: yeah and so having 27 years at coats how much has that helped you moving into that role within ahern
1: australia oh look i mean for, for me uh, you know, moving back into ahern and, and the snorkel product initially was you know it was a little bit like coming home you know it was uh, it was you know, a product that i was familiar with Um, You know, even at my time at Coates, I mean, Coates had snorkel products in their fleet at that point in time. I was aware of the business, you know, and who they were. Uh, I could see the journey that they were going on under Don and, uh, you know, but it really, I suppose for me it was, you know, all that prior history has just enabled me to come back into into products that I know and and be and be effective. Mm, very
0: nice. So when you when you think back to when you're 15 years old and you're a mechanic, and today you're a managing director, like how does that make you feel? Like does, is it hard to sort of like reflect and uh,
1: so much has happened to yeah, that? too? Look, look, it is. It's uh, you know it, it's something that I you know am wonderfully proud of, but it's it's also something that, that I'm greatly appreciative of for all of the opportunity uh, that i have been provided with throughout my career and don't get me wrong i mean the opportunities only present themselves because you're doing something right but at the end of the day being able to you know being given those opportunities is it's just has has just made the difference in my life Mm. and uh you know and and Coates it was just such a wonderful you know, grounding and sounding board for, for all of that and they've been such a wonderful platform for so many people in, in the company. You know, it's not just I that, you know, it's not just me. Other people have also come through that organisation and, you know, started off in, in uh, you know, whether it be, you know, transport and driver roles or hire controllers and, and have moved on into, you know, much more senior positions. And it has been that business which has enabled those people to get that, that start. Mm. And been and provided that opportunity. And so, what?
0: How would you describe yourself as a managing director? Like, what, what? are the qualities that you want to push through, the Ahern Australia business? Like, what? When someone, if you sit sat back and sort of were looking at yourself, like, how would you really describe your your mentoring, your management style, uh, within the business? Okay.
1: So, look, I, I I put it down to a set of values. Realistically, um, what I try and impart to my team here today at to HEARN Australia is really a set of values, and it's not just my values. I mean, but they're values that I resonate with, and that, and it's really about things like teamwork, and it's really about things like taking ownership, because realistically, you know, as an individual, you you need to take ownership of your role and the things around you, um, and things that might not even be your responsibility. But if you get in and assist there, I mean, all you do is create, you know, number one, uh, a better outcome for the business and yourself. Um, But you you find that you're working then as part of that team, right? And And that's another part, which is just around teamwork. So, and for me, it's a, and I guess the other thing which I try and impart onto my team here is a sense of urgency. You know, it can't wait. You know, uh, when a customer's, you know, talking to us about whatever it might be, a a repair on a piece of equipment or they're looking to purchase a a piece of equipment or, you know, uh, we're dealing with a supplier about an issue. I mean, it's all around sense of urgency and having that completed so that they understand that, you know, that they're, they're number one, they're important to us. No matter what position they're in. And the same thing goes for my employees. I mean, I, mean, I just look at them and say, you know, I want all of them to be valued. I want them to feel valued in the organization. So, you know, I try and impart that uh, down to, to my managers and, and my team.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so, if we, if we go back and look at some of the challenges that you faced in your early part of your career, maybe when yeah. you were a GM or maybe the, the, um, even a mechanic going back that far, compared to the challenges that you face today, like, how, what are the different types of challenges, do you think?
1: Uh, in the main, I actually think that you know the challenges can be quite similar. It's it's really then the level of responsibility which changes. So if if you look at you know simple things like you know uh, customer interaction and cust and customer development, um, you know asset management. Uh, it's you know it's it's a servicing of equipment. Uh, it's it's all of the those basic components. Um, those are still challenges and you know know, it's it's then the level of responsibility you have for managing those and the same goes for managing of people right it's just the the level of responsibility you have and and where that goes I mean things like safety uh, occupational health and safety you know and uh, and strategy um, you know you're always dealing with those even at even in um, uh, lower management roles it's just a level of the responsibility and a level of uh, you know involvement in those that you have so here today obviously I mean I I'm, I'm, you know, I'm responsible as the managing director for you know the business strategy overall and uh, and 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 our business planning uh, I'm also responsible then for you know corporate governance and uh, and those things but um, and, and 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 all of the you know the, the finance stream behind that but in the main, I mean, most of those challenges are, mm. you know, are quite similar. It's just a level of responsibility and, and the the you know amount of time you might devote to them.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's being less reactive to things and probably more planning.
1: Oh, yeah. Such. Well, it, it, certainly it is. I mean, as I said, and that, that's around the, 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 the strategy and business development component, um, you know, as a managing director. I mean, it, it really is then around, you know, directing the team and, uh, and looking at, you know, what we can better to do, uh, better do to, uh, you know, to improve our business performance um, and, and all of those key metric items. Yeah.
0: And so over your, over your career, who do you think has played a big influence on you, maybe from a mentor perspective?
1: Look, I, I, I've been fortunate. I've had a, a number of mentors in my life, but if I if I go way back, you know, I uh, you know when I first became a hire controller, I, I was uh, really fortunate enough to, to be introduced to a sales representative by the name of Jack King, and uh, you know, Jack at that point in time became my mentor. Uh, he was, and uh, you know, he, he was a, a, a wonderful salesman. And he taught me everything at that time that I knew about sales. And, uh, and they were th- the things that I've actually taken with me then through the rest of my life. And just in terms of customer engagement and customer uh, retention um, and, you know, sense of urgency. I mean, I think he was the fir- first person to start driving that into me. Um, so, you know, Jack certainly played a big part in my life uh, early on. Uh, then, uh, I've already mentioned it a couple of times, uh, the operations manager and then general manager, Alan Forbes. You know, I really didn't realise, you know, as I was working through my you know, time at Coates in the various roles, how much Alan Forbes would actually shape my life. And uh, you know, he was, you know, to me, uh, yeah, a wonderful leader and, and, and a very good manager. And you know, he, he gave me so much of his time. Um, you know, and help guide me, you know, through those various roles. I mean, he he had a vested interest. He didn't want me to fail either, right? So he wanted me to succeed in those roles. And and uh, but you know he was a, you know, a, a wonderful mentor. And then finally, uh, I'd, I'd say you know, the finance director and then COO of Coats, Gary Woods. Um, you know. Gary was, uh, you know, was the, my mentor through my general management years and, uh, and he, you know, he was just you know, a, a tremendous help to me and assistance to me in, in, in enabling me to, to come up to speed for managing a business which was turning over $200 million a year. So, you know, and, uh, and, and ensuring, just, you know, giving me the support that I needed to, you know, and a, a bit of a sounding board for when I was questioning myself around a particular item or something. But he was a, he was a tremendous mentor and, uh, you know, I still call him a friend today.
0: Mm. Jack King, 47 years in the industry, and 47 years at Coates, I should say. Imagine how many people he's mentored <laughs> over well, that
1: time. Well, it's, I've got a little story for you. So when I was the branch manager at Alexandria... Uh, I remember that Jack was still my sales representative at the time, and I remember at one point in time he said to me, Glenn, he said, when you're general manager of this company, I just want you to remember the guys that helped you get there. And I laughed it off at the time, but I think I held true. That's very nice.
0: Hmm. I'll, we'll make sure that Jack listens to that yeah. on yeah. this
1: podcast. Yeah, very good.
0: So so in terms of like uh, the career progression, you're moving like really up on, in terms of various roles how do you sort of keep keep sharp? I, do you do things like uh, a lot of reading? Uh, what, what, yeah. what, do you, what do you sort of do?
1: Yeah, look, I do. I mean, look, you've got to stay abreast of what's happening. So you, you, you know, I, I am you know, continually looking at, you know, read. I'm actually looking at the moment as you know whether I'm, I'm 57 years old. You know, at the moment, I've just recently turned 57 and uh, I'm looking at the moment as, you know, whether I need to put myself back through another course just to, you know, sh- sharpen the skills again to, to get my head back in the right space and to, to look at, you know, you know, things that will benefit me in, uh, in making this a better business. So yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm always, you know, trying to better myself as well as, um, you know, Um, trying to look at my team's uh, Mm -hmm. development at the same time so i think that's probably a good thing to touch on Uh, a
0: lot of people when they think about studying they think of it as just getting a piece of paper but it's really important to take what you learn in that study and apply it to your business yeah
1: absolutely i mean if, if for me don't get me wrong i think learning of any type is always valuable uh, because you never know what opportunity might present it to you, and whether those skills might apply, allow you to pursue a different sort of career or something. For me, it's about really uh, looking at uh, at, at um, development which assists me to improve the business that I can apply in my day to day activities here. So those sorts of things are, are what I focus on, and what I try and focus on for my team. Yeah.
0: And so, how do you define success?
1: Um okay so in in business you know it's really around you know achievement of key metrics and targets um it's it's uh ensuring you know safety of your employees it's um you know in, ensuring that the business is uh you know is is uh in a good operating position for me it's uh i, I take on you know some of the um, the personal aspects of that and i and I, I look at you know, people who I think I've assisted in their lives to progress further. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate at Coates that, uh, you know, I think, you know, I've been involved in many people's lives who, you know, who either started with me at Coates or, you know, progressed further at Coates and, uh, you know, are are all in, you know, senior and executive-type roles today. And I like to take a bit of, you know, success, you know, from that Mm. as well. And in personal life, ah, oh, look, I mean, it's all about family for me. It's all about ensuring that my family is safe and healthy. Um, you know, obviously, it's uh, along the way you build wealth and those sorts of things as well. But it's, uh, you know, for me, it's around the, you know, the safety and security of my family, and uh, you know, I've been very fortunate there as well.
0: And so have you really focused on keeping a balance as well between work and family? Uh,
1: I'll say that I, I do and my wife will say that I don't. <laughs> but, uh, look, I mean, there are a lot of hours in, in the day. Uh, you try and make sure that the time that you do spend with the family is with them. Um, but, uh, you know, at times, you know, unfortunately, you know, in, in an MD role, business prevails and, and you have to do some of those things. But certainly, you know, we, we make sure that we have the right amount of time.
0: And so if you could go back and talk to young Glenn, young eighteen year old Glenn, what would you say
1: to him? Yeah. Head down. Just keep doing what you're doing. It'll be okay. No, look, I mean, I, I think uh, I I wouldn't do anything differently. I think uh, you know uh, the the path that I've chosen and, and what I've what I've achieved I'm very happy with and you know, for, for others I'd you know, I somebody in a similar position, I'd, I'd just suggest that continue to, you know, to work hard, continue to, to do the things that, you know, that other people might not want to do, but, you know, might progress you within a, within the company and, uh, you know, get your notice because, I mean, that's really what it comes down to and, and demonstrating your commitment to a business, you know, demonstrate ownership, demonstrate teamwork. Uh, they're the things which really, you know, companies see in value. Um Yeah. Very nice.
0: All right, Glenn. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Mark, thank you for having me. This podcast episode was brought to you by our premier partner, Ken Arthogne.